Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the skate pod on WEEI. Welcome in to episode 123 of the skate podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice joined by Bridget Bruins, Scott McLaughlin. Bruins defeated the Minnesota Wild Saturday at the Garden 4-3 in overtime and they are now 5-1 on the season and first overall in the NHL. Not a bad start. Yeah. Hot take. The Boston Bruins might be a pretty good hockey team. Hot take, they might make the playoffs. Hot take, Nick Foligno <laughs> might be the best player in the league. <laughs> yeah, no, Lindholm has been very good. Allmark's been very good. I will take any opportunity at this point to just like laugh at the people who said the Bruins weren't going to be a playoff team because the injuries or whatever. Like, it's honestly at this point, if they haven't changed their minds, then I, I don't really know what's wrong with them <laughs> because it's it's all been right in your face. I mean, right now they're missing Marshawn. They're they're missing McAvoy. They've been missing Carlo. They've been missing like Grizzly came back, but they were missing him. So they've had, you know, all those injuries. They've been able to overcome all of them. So the people who had them not making the playoffs, I don't really. But, he, but even if they were even if they were like three and three right now. I mean, I would still say they were making the playoffs, but now it's just like the point is very obvious. The personnel, but the personnel, even if they were three and three, the personnel is not a non-playoff team. It it was just no, it's not. And I think I think people overlook the fact of the additions. Like, I don't think anyone thought Greer was going to make the team. And if they, even if they were paying that much attention, they didn't know what kind of a player he was coming into the season. They didn't know what role he was going to play. They didn't know about Laco. They didn't know about like that Felina was going to have a good season. And to be fair, we didn't really know necessarily how Felina was going to play. All those guys you just named, like it was, it was understandable not to expect anything from any of them because they all had bad seasons or, or no, there was nothing, there was nothing from like last year that would have indicated any of them were ready to contribute. Like Greer has never broken into the NHL, spent pretty much all last season in the AHL. But shows up and now he's, you know, a clear NHLer, borderline like third liner, three goals already. We'll get into him being uh, healthy scratched on Saturday. Felino, terrible year last year. As much as, you know, he said he felt better, healthier, all that. Like he even said it himself today. He was like, it, it was tough because I, can't, I, I can keep telling you guys that. But until like I could actually get on the ice and show it, it doesn't mean anything. And I think yeah. that that was a lot of people's approach was like, 
okay, you can say that, but like, let's actually see it. Well, I we're guess, seeing it. He... I guess if you didn't pay close attention to Bruins preseason, you probably wouldn't have had any idea what was about to happen for the Bruins when they started. I mean, we we had an extra lead on things because we're here. Um, but the people, I, I I guess it's not fair to say, you know, they're, they were stupid for, for picking but, the Bruins to not make the playoffs, but we had enough yeah, information to know. Yes, they, okay, were. they were. They were dumb. Um, they were. They were. Okay, and sorry, I mean, even, even preseason, like pre- preseason doesn't always translate to regular season. So even that wasn't but that we, telling. And even, and even then, Felino didn't have a good preseason until like the last game or two. And then he finally True. got going. Same with no Like, you know, we I were guess, talking about like those guys getting cut and, you know, they picked it up kind of like the veteran approach, you know, right? Come into training camp, take your time, build up, get going. By the end of training camp, you're ready for the regular season. So I, um, I guess I more mean like if you weren't on this beat, you might not have figured it out the way that Bruins fans had figured it out. But I'm, I'm not giving them an out because I do think they sh- still should have picked the Bruins to make yeah. the playoffs. Uh, they just yeah. don't think that anyone thought they were going to be this dominant early on without with the injuries that they have. No. Absolutely not. Like even, even us, like I didn't see this fast of a start coming. I mean, how, how good you, a new coach, two of your stars out, another top four defenseman out. Like there's, you know, new play, new line combos, new guys in, whether it's, you know, Zaka, Gurrier, Lauko, question marks from last season, you know, and Felino, Frederick, Nosek, all those defense, a bunch of question marks, figuring out, who's going to play where, like, you know, I thought they would get off to a decent start and keep their head above water until Martian and McAvoy return. But I mean, five and one, you know, league, league leaders in points, league leaders in offense, like absolutely not. No way I could have seen this. this yeah. Time. Even in their loss, they had five goals. It's like how it's hard to argue that they've had a bad, like there, there wasn't really too many blemishes on their season so far, five goals and a loss. Usually you win those games that you score five goals. So. Well, I mean, I predicted like 45 goals from Felino. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but <laughs> um, I saw the tweet one, earlier. Hey, one person here predicted the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup. Let's not forget that. You hey, did. And at you. first, you know what? What surprised me about that was that usually it's me and Brian that are like a little bit like, I, I don't want to say biased, but we have, well, we all, we, we watch the Bruins more than we watch any other team. So we're leaning like, okay, I know what this team's like. Scott is like the opposite of bias. Scott's like too hard the other way sometimes. So when Scott said it, I was like, okay. Yeah, but yeah, but Scott keep people on their toes. Scott also screwed us over though because number one, he threw that prediction question at us out of the blue, and then he goes first and says Bruins going to win the cup. Freaking Scott! What what are we supposed to do? Have a Boston Bruins podcast drop and say our three Bruins podcasters. Predict we that all the, pick the Bruins to cup. win. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's mainly the biggest reason I did went against the Bruins was to just not come across that way. But it's not yeah, that well, they can't make the Stanley Cup. It's just that no. it's yeah. just that I think we just didn't want to come across as like because exactly. everyone else was like, "What is this team going to be like? We don't know yet." So we had questions, but no, this could be a Stanley Cup team. I mean, look, at, look, I was they, I was just sharing the conclusion I'd come to after extensive research of every roster in the league and looking at and, all kinds of possibilities of how the season would play out. 
And by that, I mean, I thought of it about three minutes before I threw that out on the podcast. I think you came up with it during the podcast. I but did, look, yes. But look around the, uh, <laughs> look, look around, again, it's it's really early in the season, but look around the Eastern Conference landscape. Like, anybody, the teams that everybody predicted to be the, you know, the top of the, of the, of the crop, Toronto, Tampa, like, they're struggling. Florida, it, it, Florida's defense sucks, just like we said it was going to suck because they lost Mackenzie Wegar, and then oh, crazy that Aaron Eckblad gets hurt like he always does. So, yeah, I mean the Eastern Conference is, is the Bruins have as good a chance as anybody. I I really did feel that way going into the year. It was just a matter of can they, um, you know, play well enough without have a good enough record without their key guys, and clearly they're well on their way to doing that. So, yeah, and by the way, we have you know maybe six eight games before they get some of these guys back. We're not we're not talking about a long time now. We're talking about end of November um, for McAvoy and Marshawn. And so like they've been able to not only tread water, but they've been able to actually have an effective offense and have defensive pairs that still could, you know, keep, keep teams at bay. And and not only that, but I think they really found a good solution with Lynn home and um, Grizzly. Once Grizzly came back, um, they didn't start with that pair last game, but then on Saturday they played the whole game with Lindholm Grizzlick, and it just looked nice. I mean, it just looked smooth. We mentioned both of those guys usually play the same side. They had Lindholm playing left side technically and uh, Grizzlick playing right side, but uh, that ended up being a good defensive pair for them. And it was because Montgomery, uh, he's still early in his coaching career at Boston so he's trying new things and he this is one of those things that might stick for him until McAvoy gets back um this pair of Lindholm and Grizzly probably two of his you know smoother defensemen working on the same pair you want some numbers on that Lindholm Grizzly pairing from Saturday's game of course analytics would be great right now uh so they played 1328 together at five on five uh, shot attempts, 19 to 10 Bruins shots on goal, 12 to four Bruins goals, two to one Bruins expected goals, 88.3% Bruins with them on the ice scoring chances, 10 to three. Like they're just dominant. They so, are. Yeah. They, and you could see it. They, it started out was, I think it was like Grizzly and Zaboral together. The first, uh, the f- yeah, his first, first game, game back, yeah. that that Grizzly came back and then he was like, OK, well, we're going to re- reward Grizzly. We're, this is a thing Montgomery does, too. It's like he's rewarding players with more time on higher lines or the power play. Or in this case, with Grizzly, when he saw how well he was playing, he rewarded him by throwing him up with Lindholm and then just trying to see how it went, even though they're not necessarily, you know, they're both play the same side usually. And just tried to see how it worked, and it worked great. So, like Scott just said, the the stats back it up. We watch it with our own eyes, and it looks good. Um, and so that's probably their best option until McAvoy comes back. Where usually we, we expect at least McAvoy to slot in with Lindholm, but Lindholm far and away has been the best defenseman on this team so far. He's been really helping pull the pull on the line, as the guys usually say, in order to make up for the losses on defense. I don't know if I would say far and away though. I feel like I, I think that's true, but I also I I I do want to give Connor Clifton a no a yeah. because he's been up there as well. Yeah, he has. He's played higher than expectations, but I think Lynn Holm has stood out as the best defenseman. 
which you know that's his that's his role in this situation, right? I mean, he he talent wise, he is the best defenseman in, on their yeah. in their lineup right now. But I, but yeah, I mean, because everybody else has been pulling on the pulling on the um on the rope, like Clifton and Forbert in particular have been a really really solid pairing. I mean, um, playing bigger minutes, but, uh, tougher matchups, and I I think that. I just think that the Bruins, as funny as this sounds, if if Clifton and Forbert were not were playing kind of like they'd played in stretches last year where they were a little iffy and you know the Bruins could be struggling right now. That I think I think they're a big reason why they're why they're five and one because they've been stable back there for them. Yeah, and and Clifton with another big hit on Saturday on uh Freddie Gaudreau, another one of those McAvoy esque hits where Gaudreau's entering the zone and just as he gets over the blue line, Clifton just steps up on him and dumps him. That's um, like, it's been like a staple for him this year. He steps up on guys at the blue line. And we mentioned that it, I mean, the goal was overturned, but that DeBrusque goal that ended up getting called back started with, you know, Clifton stepping up at the blue line, separating the puck and then, uh, you know, a quick chance the other way on the rush. And he, one thing that Taylor Hall told us today was that, the reason why the team is playing as fast as they are is because of the defense, the defense is starting um, the rush. The defense is making the right, they're making the right passes. Um, and he credited them with the reason why they're looking faster than they looked last year. And, and also I just want to say as well, uh, the fact that they're five and one is through six games is so important because I, 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 I might double check, but I think they have 16 games remaining until December. So, it, you know, the this cushion that they've given themselves with the five and one record, they've allowed them. I don't want to say they've they've allowed themselves, you know, you know, uh, losses down the line. But let's just let's just say that they go eight and eight in the next 16 games. They play 500 hockey. You're 13 and nine when you're getting some key guys back. Like this, this five and one cushion they've given themselves is really, really important because it could have gone the other way, right? Where they're one and five or two and four, whatever the case may be. And um, so this, 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 these scenarios we're discussing on the on the blue line, different mi- uh, mixing and matching and and whatever. Um, the, their play thus far, while not perfect, it's it's just that much more important that uh, going forward. Yeah, and also, you know, right around that time when, like, Martian and McAvoy might get back also happens to be the toughest stretch of their schedule all season. Like, you start from November 21st, you go at Tampa, at Florida, versus Carolina, versus Tampa, versus Colorado, versus Vegas, at Colorado, at Arizona, a little layup, then at Vegas. Like, that is a preposterous stretch of schedule. So the more you can bank before then, because you don't want to be in a situation where you're like struggling going into that. And now you need those guys to come back and hit the ground running at a hundred percent. And because you're in the toughest stretch of your schedule, like you bank some points, you have a good record going into that. And then if everything doesn't click right away, when those guys get back and you drop a few of those games, it's not the end of the world. No, and, and I think that that also this uh, this can't go like out the window. The fact that you win five and one to start the season, you kind of you you already know you're that kind of team that can win at that rate. So your confidence is still going to be there. You lose a few games, you say, okay, well that's just like you know that that's just an anomaly. We're we're a, we were a five and one team to start the season. We know how to win. We can bounce back. We're resilient. 
and you have that mindset going into the rest of the year. Even if you do lose a few games in a row, you go, okay, well, we know what kind of team we are. We saw it earlier. And you have that baseline that you can build off of. You guys want to mark the tape real quick? You want to, you want a Brian prediction? Yeah, Let's go hypothetically, for it. hypothetically, if, if Martian and McAvoy come back for that first game of December, let's just say, let's just say by the time November ends, I feel that they're going to be 15, 6, and 1. Right now they're 5 and 1. I think they'll be 15, 6, and 1 come, come, come December. And I think that'll be a, a pretty good spot for them when those guys come back. Yeah, they'll but, still be up in the top few spots in the conference if that's the case. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, look, I could be totally wrong. They might lose the next 16 games in a row, and I'll, I'll be an asshole for that. No. I can't believe you have them losing in overtime of the last two games. I mean, they just <laughs> shoot out, shoot out, sh- shoot out, and then, you know, draw a couple power plays against uh, against Minnesota on Saturday. <laughs> By the way, the Saturday's like, you know, I read as we're talking about a bunch of stuff related to Saturday's game, but in general, I thought set. And Jim Montgomery said the same thing after that Saturday's game was their most complete effort um, on everything other than the power play, which we can get into in a, in a second, but uh, five on five, they were totally dominant. I mean, I read the, the Lindholm, the numbers for the Lindholm Grizzly pairing, but every single line I, I tweeted this out um, after the game, every line had an expected goals for percentage of 67% or better. Like they were all dominant and Frederick, Coyle Smith led the way with Craig Smith coming back into the lineup, who I thought played a great game. Um, that line, except for the one penalty. Yeah, true. But yeah, that I mean, the Bruins definitely. So that's I would say those are the two things. The power play struggled until obviously, you know, a four on three winner in overtime, and they still did take too many penalties. They got in a lot of penalty trouble in the third so period. So bad. With, back-to-back five-on-threes against them and, you know, somehow survived. But you know what happened after that? The crowd got behind them when they killed. Like, everybody realized in in the arena, this is not, like, most likely they're getting scored on in this second five-on-three. And they didn't, and they killed it off, and Olmark was great in all of the penalty killing. And and the crowd just kind of took that and, and gave the energy back to the Bruins, and they almost turned it around on that. I mean, sometimes it's a big penalty killer in this case, several in a row that gives you the momentum. And they, they felt like once they survived that they, they had it on their side, I guess you could feel it in the building when we were there that the penalty kill was a momentum swing back in their favor. Yeah. I mean, yet they still blew it after that though. They did. They gave up a goal. They gave up a goal after that, but it could have been so much worse. Like I was expecting it that when the second five on three happened, I was like, well, this is this is going to be a goal, and it wasn't. So let's just jump back real quick to earlier on in the game, and we we discussed last last episode the the, the power power play struggles, in particular zone entries. And here we go, and you know, sure as shit, they try to do the ticky tacky lateral pass at the blue line, and it goes back the other way, and it's your, it's a shorthanded goal against. It was Krejci. I think it was Krejci that made the move at the line, had it tipped off his stick. It goes back the other way, and Duhame ends up scoring the goal. Um, Yeah, it was a bad entry. It was was a little bit of bad luck, but also, you know, Krejci kind of steered the puck towards, uh, you know, one of the defenders, and things end up going back the other way. So, yeah, it was – and that wasn't the only entry that looked bad. 
Yeah, and I, I asked Pasternak after the games specifically about the entries on the power play. And the thing he pointed to, he said, like, we're just too close together. Like, we're not getting spaced out enough. And you could see it on that play where Krejci, and I think it's Pasternak who's actually next to him, I believe. Or it might have been Hall. But Krejci is so close to the Bruin next to him that the defender doesn't have to choose one of them to go with. He can just stay in the middle, and he's, like, within a stick reach of, of either one, either way, you know, you get more spacing and you force that defenseman to shade one way or the other. And now, you know, someone has a little more space. So, but that's been, that's been a common problem that like, you know, at some point you've got to actually execute differently to, to get around that. Like, I feel like that's been happening a bunch, like almost by, it seems like almost by design that they have, you know, the guy carrying the puck in be close to the player on the wall. And it's like, yeah, like if you complete that short pass and it's a nice, easy short pass, but it also leaves, you know, it it makes it easy for a defender to get in between there if they're in the right spot. Yeah, Yeah, it's a good point you make, Scott, about the the defender having to choose one, one or the other. Yeah, and and so if we're t- if we're talking about the power play in general, the second unit looked better than the first unit for most of the game. Um, when we talked to Taylor Hall after the game, he said, you know, the second unit. He said, first of all, the team played its best game, and Montgomery said the same thing. The team played its best game of the season on Saturday against Minnesota. But Hall said he would agree with that, except for the power play. He said the second unit was really good, but the first unit could have done better. And when we talked to Montgomery about the power play, I asked him um, what made today the right time to go to the all forward power play, because in the last 37 seconds of regulation, he went five forwards. And then in overtime, both power plays that they had in overtime, he went all forwards four on three. So he said he wanted Taylor Hall had been playing good. He wanted him on the power play. So he wanted to throw him in instead of Lindholm. So it went, ended up being five forwards and then in overtime like I said four forwards against three so it was the right time for them because their first unit he thought was stagnant and he wanted to get that extra offense in there he wanted to add Taylor Hall to the power play yeah and I wonder if we see him go to that more often like even away from an end of game situation just try that more often or the other option that you know we thought he might try today but he really didn't is move grizzly up to the first unit um it, you know you mentioned the second unit looking better today and grizzly was on that unit and i think where that could potentially either option whether it's grizzly or the five forwards is i think that gives you one more player who could be good on entries because Lindholm does a lot of things well, but I'm not sure that like carrying the puck into the zone like that is really strength of, of his. We haven't, we just haven't really seen him do it much on the power play, you know, at five on five, if he gets ahead of steam going and there's some space, yeah, you know, he can move and get into the zone, but he doesn't seem to be quite as nimble, I guess, like in those power play situations where numbers start to kind of get stacked up. I think Taylor Hall said after the game as well, and forgive me if one of you guys mentioned this, but I think it's just he said it's just a matter of just more reps. They didn't really have much much time practicing in the uh, in training yeah. camp and whatnot with their zone. And they haven't goal. had much time in between these games to practice a power right. play. Right. I think they've. I think the Bruins may be the 
maybe most games played in the league so far, maybe tie with a few others. So they've been, yeah. they've had a busy schedule to start the year for sure. Exact opposite of last year. Yeah, right. I know that was crazy last year. Did yeah, so like, I think I would imagine uh, Monday's practice will probably be a lot of power play time. That I think they were because they also had uh, they had one they had Wednesday off this week. I think they were originally planning to practice Sunday and Monday, but uh, ended up with a day off Sunday, which I think is kind of you know you're at the end of a busy week with four games in six days. The team did well, obviously continues to win, so. I think that's just like a reward, you know, hey, yeah. take Sunday off, come back Monday for, you know, a, a good, hard, you know, probably longer practice. So the Bruins go down one nothing, and then Nick Foligno ties the game one-to-one, beautiful shot, hands down his his best goal as a Bruin, just real confident goal scorer's goal. And, um, you know, we talked about him about, I don't know, about a month ago when, when training camp started and, and we kind of talked about how the first the first few weeks, the first month or so was very important for him. If he wanted to turn his season around, he had to get that monkey off his back right away, as opposed to having those woes linger and have to face those same questions. And six games in, he has passed his goal total from all of last season, and uh, he kick-started what would be uh, three consecutive goals by the Bruins to take a 3-1 lead. Yeah, and it's not it's not even I mean the goals are obviously key and that is a huge part of him, you know, turning things around. But it's also just how he's playing. Like he he looks faster and he's making he's winning races to puck. He he's separating from defenders when he has the puck. Um, you know, he's making plays with it on a stick, like just stuff we didn't see much of last year and I think that's whether it's injuries or what, you know, maybe you know, he's definitely healthier. I think he did more skating, uh, you know, training wise this off season, but he just has like a, a little extra jump on his step. Whereas last year, you know, he was never separating from defenders. He wasn't winning foot races and maybe it was just injury related. Like maybe it's that simple, but he, you know, I asked him that today, like, is it as simple as just being healthy? And he was like, basically, well, that's a big part of it, but also, you know, it was being healthy throughout the off season, being able to do all my normal training. So, you know, not only was he banged up last year, but he, remember he was coming off that that back surgery or whatever it was and didn't have a regular off season of training either. So, um, you know, he, and I agree with this part. He also said like, it's six games. I'm not, not getting too excited yet, but obviously a, a very good start for him. Yeah, and we'll give him credit where credit's due. The funny thing was Coach said when we asked um, Coach Montgomery about Felino, he said he's healthier. But then when we asked Felino, he said, I also had the offseason to reset and get my mind in like a different headspace. And, um, you know, it was just equally the physical and the mental for him. And you wonder how much this the being cut affected him as well. But for me – um, I, through, through these few games, we see all the scratches and even if it's just for rest from Montgomery, like he hasn't been one of those guys that's looked like he needed rest. And that's a huge credit to him that he's healthy enough that he didn't, even though he's one of these guys that are, that he's a veteran, he's older, he hasn't needed that time off and he hasn't been scratched for other reasons like bad play. So credit to him for, 
um, staying at that level so far through six games. Like you said, Scott, it's it's only six games, and he said that, but that's a good start for him. It's better than any six-game stretch he had last year. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and he draws the penalty with 37 seconds left in regulation by just going hard into a battle and forcing the defender to basically wrap him up and or, you know grab his stick, take a hold of the stick penalty. Um, and the Bruins don't win it on that power play, but they put the wild on their heels and like clearly set the tone for overtime. I don't, I don't think Minnesota ever really recovered. They kind of kept chasing the game from there and then take another penalty and the Bruins eventually score the winner. And I also just think in addition to what you guys have mentioned about his being able to have a, a full off season health wise, um, being healthier this year, you can't, you can't understate the importance of confidence and just feeling like he's, he's making a positive impact on the ice for his teammates. Like last year, you know, last year he definitely felt like he was part of the team because he's a good locker room guy and and everybody, everybody likes him and whatnot. And he was certainly a vocal leader, I'm sure throughout the entire season, but you know, within you, you know, when you're, when you're making a positive impact on a score sheet and when you're kind of a liability out there. And I just think that more so while it might only be six games, just, the confidence that he's going to be that he's probably playing with right now and will gain from this throughout the season is just uh, very, very important. It, it will help enable him in addition to his physical health to just kind of keep the good times rolling. I don't think any of us expect him to, you know, put up 40 goals this year, but can he put up 20 or can he put up 15 at least? I mean, he's off to a good start for 15. So, I mean, that's good. I mean, when you think about who they, who they added in the off season, you have, you bring in Zaka, you bring back Krejci. Looks like AJ Greer could be a pretty pretty good piece for you. And if all of a sudden you're adding the Nick Felino of Columbus as opposed to the Nick Felino of Toronto and Boston last year, that's a good add too. Is that a, is that a fourth line guy all year? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, who's to say he doesn't step up in, into the third line role? I mean, it's you know, there's still some movement on that line. Again, Frederick. Coyle Smith looked really good Saturday, but you know, Greer looked like there's been some rotation. So we could absolutely see him get a chance there. In fact, he did get a couple shifts there Saturday. Um, he was out with Coyle and Smith when he drew that penalty late. So um, yeah, I mean, he certainly looks like a guy who belongs on the team and can help the team. And so, you know, like we've had the conversation about what happens when, you have to activate McAvoy assuming there's no other injuries at that time and no other way to clear money off the books. I mean, right now it doesn't, doesn't look like Felino would be the one getting moved. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Riley might be the leading candidate, but last episode we thought Craig Smith might be the leading candidate. Cause he, you know, got healthy scratch two games in a row. And, but then he comes back Saturday and plays really well. So it's, you know, it, everyone seems to be, stepping up when they need to and responding well after, you know, a bad game or two or stretchy games or whatever. So, um, I know it kind of seems like Jim Montgomery is pushing a lot of right buttons early on. He has been. And, and you talk about Felino getting a chance on the third line. Montgomery has, and something, this is something we've talked about like off, off the podcast, just personally that he's been really willing to move things around early on in his 
you know, his coaching here in Boston. So he's willing to reward players. Uh, and so Felino was one of the guys he rewarded. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do see Felino up, if he's not happy with Smith, like you mentioned, he, Smith had a decent game on Saturday, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's just more, more movement in the bottom six, especially, but you know, he's gone to from the check line to back to Hall, Krejci, Pasternak. And um, you know what that the Hall, Krejci, Pasternak line has been looking better the past two games. And when we talked to Taylor Hall after the game, he said he feels like finally the chemistry has come back to that line. Um, and I, I feel like that's going to be what we're looking at, at least for the next week. Um, like I said, Montgomery's quick to change things, but the, the chemistry has come back there. Um, and you've seen the difference in Hall's game. I also think he individually has stepped things up, but um, just that line, he feels more comfortable where he's playing right now. Yeah. And it's not, you, you know, he said chemistry come back, come has come back really it like has arrived for the first time. I mean, I know they practiced plenty together in the preseason, but they didn't play together in the preseason. Um, you know, Brian's laughing at something. I don't I know. Tell you and trying to make fun of me or not. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, not this time, Brian, not this. Yeah, time. no, no, no. That there'll, there'll be plenty of that to come, but I think what Hall meant by chemistry coming back was maybe with Krejci. Yeah. Perhaps, but like my point was just that that line didn't actually get any preseason games together because they were they were going to play together, but Pasternak sat, you know, Montgomery didn't feel the need to put him in a game yet, and then Hall got hurt. So you know their their first game action together actually came in in the regular season, and then they got split up pretty quickly. So um, you know because Montgomery was tinkering with things, Hall was struggling a bit. So yeah. It, it seems like they're finally getting going and Taylor Hall getting going individually is, is obviously a huge part of that. So before we get into some, uh, some personnel decisions going into this game, I guess we, we should just wrap up the, what, how the game finished off. So Hampus Lindholm got his, I want to say it was his first goals of Bruin. Am I correct in saying that? Uh, getting back to last year. I thought oh, he well, you know what? No, no, no. He had an empty netter in uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Washington maybe or something. Or I don't know what game it was, but regardless. I think this was his second goal. Maybe his yeah. first goal with a goalie in the net for the Bruins. Yes, <laughs> I believe that's correct. So, um, yeah, really, really heads up play, um, shooting it off of the uh, defender to kind of, you know, gain separation. That <laughs> 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 just buried it. Great fake out. Um it's called an indirect pass to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's using the geometry of the rink as Jack, I would just say. That was like uh, Bailey Zappi, the Patriots quarterback, completing a mm. pass to himself last week. I mean, yeah. it went for minus four yeah. yards, but. I should take a step back. I mean, so Pashnak got the goal. That made it two to one. And then Hampus Lindholm made it three one. Minnesota comes back, ties it three three eventually. And then in overtime, the Bruins win it. Taylor Hall again um, on a four on three. So. Yeah. Way, just like some incredible talent on display on that winning goal. First with Bergeron knocking that puck down to keep it in the zone, shielding off the defender so Krejci could swoop in and take it. And then the pass by Pasternak was just absurd. Like yeah. at, when he first made it, I thought like it almost looked like he was just almost blindly throwing it across, hoping Hall would be there. 
And then you watch the replay and you're like, no, he knew Hall was there and like just made a sick backhand pass to him. Which is why it's 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 just we keep stressing the the, the zone entries in the power play because once they do get into the offensive zone, the the talent that, that this team possesses, um, especially when McAvoy Martian come back is is gonna be second to none, I think, in the league, honestly. So um but yeah, uh Bridget, your thoughts on on the, the finish of this game? Uh, so when it went into overtime, you know, they had the lead. It seemed like they were going to be able to finish this off in regulation. Then you're like, okay, well, it goes to overtime. At least they get a point. It wouldn't be, you know, it might be greedy to say, you know, they won five games out of six to start the season. So, but you did feel like they were out playing Minnesota at the same time. So goes to overtime. We see the, like I mentioned, they spent a lot of overtime with a man advantage. So once you see that happen, you're like, okay, they, they've had time to settle down. They've not played a lot of defensive hockey in this overtime period. And you kind of did feel like they might end it in overtime rather than having to go to the shootout again. And you see it at the end hall, no surprise hall gets the the goal to win it. And I, (laughs) after the game, I talked to Linus Allmark, and I said, are you happy that it didn't go to two shootouts in a row for you? And he said, I'm just happy we got the win. But, like, I feel like he just didn't want to answer that because there's no way he, like, he, when he saw that goal go in, he's like, thank God yeah. we didn't have well, to go two shootouts in a row. Well, last game he was, after the last game he was at, because Jeremy Swayman famously, I think it was last year, maybe even the year before when he was up, said he likes shootouts, which is like, okay, psycho. But, yeah, um, and that's what like but I will asked, say. Allmark did not say that. Allmark didn't say, "Oh, I like shootouts." He said, yeah, I'm just he, glad we got a win either way because he didn't want to answer well, no, the fact that he, didn't he said want... he said I like it when we win in 60 minutes is what he said. It, so. And then he said, but then he said or in 64 because that's they yeah. ended up winning in like 64 and a half minutes or whatever. So he he was like he wouldn't say no, but really we all know that he would rather not go two shootouts in a row and my brother was a goalie and I know the fact that it's just you don't want to go to the shootout you just don't I also asked him how did it feel because this was the first time a a Bruins goalie this season has played back-to-back games they had been alternating Allmark Swayman and so they finally go to Allmark back-to-back games and I asked him how he felt with that he said he felt fine um, but then of course he had to answer the rest of that question with stuff about Swayman, because every time you ask him something about himself, he has to answer about Swayman too. So it's just funny. They're so close that it's always about both of them at the same time. It's never just about one. By the way, they, they broke out the windmill for the hug today. Do you think they practiced that before? I think they've done it once or twice before, but that's like, that's when, that's when you know it's special is when you get when you get the windmill wind up mm. yeah they're gonna have to get creative I, I i think we forecast quite a few more wins for the yeah. this year, so um so i want to talk about the personnel jim montgomery made a comment after the game about how aj greer did not didn't do anything to deserve getting healthy scratched uh he he cited he cited the san antonio spurs of the old days and how they like to pick and choose their spots to rest guys throughout the season and just kind of just, it's going to take everybody. Now he did 
you know, give the the notion like obviously that doesn't really apply to our top guys like Martian and and, and Pasternak and guys like that. But I get the sense that because obviously Lauko got into the lineup today and Craig Smith got into the lineup, so um, I I kind of get the sense we might not know the Bruins set bottom bottom six for for quite some time just because of you know injuries and this philosophy of Jim Montgomery to kind of keep everybody engaged and not letting anybody sit out too, too long. Uh, what do you guys make of, of the lineup decisions and just his, his comments on the game afterwards? Well, yeah, it's a luxury. Think- it's a luxury to have, you know, to be able to rest guys. I mean, we see some teams that have, they're so cap tight that they don't have that. Like when, when the Bruins played Florida, they don't have the extra guys to be able to throw in there. So he almost has this luxury where he can sit two guys every night use the use the guys that are rested to bring them back into the lineup and and he just has and he has two extra guys that he knows are able to play at an NHL level and can give other guys rest in the bottom six yeah and I don't I think it I kind of feel like it gives him cover to frame it this way where you know if he's setting the tone now that Hey guys, there's going to be some rotation. You know, we're not going to sit anyone down too long. Uh, you know, if you come out of the lineup, it's not necessarily because you deserve to like it, it gives them a lot of cover to keep making moves like this where, okay, like now that tone has been set. And so next time you go to, you know, a Lauko or a Smith, or maybe it's no sec or even Felino at some point, it's not, Oh God, what, what did I do wrong? Why am I out of the lineup? It's all right. The, like it, like it or not, this is just coach's approach. This is how he handles it. It's my turn. Yeah. And everyone who's gotten a chance for the most part has made the most of it. Like Smith comes back in and plays well. Greer was playing well. Lauko has generally played well when he's been in. Stanika is the only one who got in and, and obviously didn't take advantage. And so that might be a unique case where is this going to be, you know, a 14 forward rotation or is it going to be 13 and Stanika ends up the odd man out for a while? I don't think, I don't think we're there yet. I would guess Stanika is going to get another chance in the not too, too distant future, but I, but it might be like four or five games again. Um, If you want to get the most out of him, you can't let him get as cold as he got. Like if you want to sit someone extra time, it's almost unfair to them that you're, you're treating them with like, you know, spending so much time away from the ice. Yeah. I would just say in Stanika's case, I don't think it's unfair because I mean, well in the first game, yes, no, he did. But like he started the season cold, like his first game getting in, he wasn't part of the opening night roster. So if we see him play like that in the second or third chance he gets, then I'll, I'll be like, okay, yeah, he hasn't made the most of his opportunities. I mean, he took stupid penalties. Yes. He was frustrated, but I hope that in his, you know, second and third opportunities, he shows like it wasn't just, hopefully for him, he shows that was just one game that I came in cold and I I didn't have enough opportunities and I didn't make the most of my time the very first game, but I can play like that. um, You know, if you put me back in, it's just, it's tough. It's tough when you sit for a long amount of time with him. And I know I'm watching your faces. And I'm seeing that you, I'm seeing that you're like disagreeing with me based on your facial expressions. I'm just trying to give another perspective because he, I, I've, 
played before and and when you sit you kind of get down on yourself so i you know it's it's a little different coming in when you feel like you're the last guy on the roster to get in um so just to keep that in mind yeah i i don't i don't disagree with you bridget I, I, what i will say is that unfortunately for jack in this kind of what what happened in his last in his last opportunity unfortunately was no different than the ones he got in prior seasons and, and and yes those opportunities were few and far between and so it's the same issue that you're talking about where he hasn't had a chance to get a rhythm but there hasn't been one nhl game where he's grabbed the bull by the horns unfortunately and this so this is not the first time it's happened um and i just think that that's kind of why i'm a little bit down on him right now too because i haven't i haven't seen him do it in any not not one game uh i i think you know it, like I think back to um, – do you guys remember their – the uh, when, after COVID, after the bubble playoffs, that next season when Craig Smith was on the team, whatever, uh, his first year in the team, the Bruins had a really tough start to the year offensively. Like I think they went like three – almost three full games without a five-on-five five goal. Yeah. And they ended up playing the – I think they played the Flyers for their home opener. No fans, of course. And Jack Sanika was the one who ignited their first five-on-five five goal. I think he was it was either an assist or a goal crash in the net. That was one instance where he where he he stood out. And then also again against the Flyers in Lake Tahoe, I thought he played a pretty good game too. He had a really nice pass to Pasternak for his hat trick goal. But aside from those two plays, I haven't seen him do much in any regular season game so far. And that's kind of uh, why I'm disappointed in his last outing because he kind of proved more of the same to me. I just feel for him, he's never found the right fit in the lineup because so we see Lauko come in and he has made a lot of his opportunities, but that's a role that they needed to fill. They needed a guy that was fast and physical. Lauko comes in, he fills that role. Sanika was never that kind of player, and that role never opened up for him. Like the the role that he usually plays hasn't really opened up for him. So he's but trying to make the most of an opportunity. And it's not necessarily been there for him consistently. But I mean, they, they didn't put him on the fourth line. They put him on the third line with Frederick and Coyle on his wing, who like, you know, those are two guys who have been playing fairly well. And he's, so he's in his natural position. He's not on the fourth line. He still didn't take advantage. And like, he's, he's gotten chances up in the line. I mean, I know they were on the wing, but like he was on the second line at one point in the, in that in the bubble playoffs yeah. like going into that. And I know that's not, you know, wasn't his natural position or whatever, but it was still an opportunity with very talented players and that again, he didn't really make the most of. And, you know, that's going back two years now, but um, I don't know. I mean, that's where your opportunities are going to come. Like it, yeah. you're not going to, you know, they're not going to be like, uh, Hey Jack, go out there and take a game with Hall and Pasternak on your wings. Like, no, those, those spots are taken. So you've got to make the most of it with whoever you're with in the bottom six, which by the way, we're learning like some of these guys can score. So if you're Jack Stanika and your strength is supposed to be a playmaker, you should be able to compliment them. Yeah. I don't think we should spend too much time on Jack Stanika. I think we, we probably agree on most things about him. So, you know, is he the bottom of the the depth chart right now? Yes. Um, I think, 
what the semantics are between us is like whether or not it's justified or not. Uh, we don't need to really spend any more time on him. I don't think um, well, I, if we wanted to. Yeah, go ahead. I, I would say just lastly, Bridget, like I, I, I do agree. Like I have no issue with him getting another chance. Like I think, I think he can get another, another game. And I think that, but you said something last podcast and, I, and it, it's very true. I, I think you said something along the lines of he just feels the pressure and he's like gripping the stick too tight. And so, I mean, yeah, he he he, sh- he should get into the lineup again. But if it's another one of those things where the moment's too big for him, it's it's it really is going to be his last chance. Someone yeah. asked him. Someone asked Coach Montgomery, "Are you going to play him back to back games to really kind of see what he where you know what he can bring?" He hasn't got the chance to play back to back game yet games yet. So maybe when we see him play back to back games, we'll get a better chance like chance to see. Um, you know, if he settles in, if he makes adjustments, but when you have so much time in between games, it's gotta be hard. Um, so like I said, we don't need to spend any more time really on Stadnika. Um, cause I think we all agree he's, he's the last guy on this depth chart right now. Um, it's just, it's hard to get a judgment on him. I guess that's probably why we disagree so much. It's just that we haven't been able to gauge him as well as we've been able to gauge some of the other guys. Yeah. I, I, I have, I have one person though that I think we all have or actually spoiler. It's not a person. I think we all have similar feelings on Blades. the star. The star. Who's that? Blades. 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 Close, close. I don't know. I'm scared of mascots. Well, you know, you know who I think the number one star for the Bruins has been this week? Darla. Ah uh, yes. Have you seen the videos of Darla or the? Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness! Talk about talk about just stealing the hearts of Bruins Nation. What an absolute precious, precious dog. Of course, we're talking about Derek Forward's dog Darla, yeah. and the Bruins social media has been plastering her all. Oh, it's just the such feel good videos because they had that funny video of Marshan modeling the, the the Pooh Bear, and everybody was everybody was making fun of Marshan saying. Bad model, great jersey, but then they 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 showed Darla and like the reaction from the guys were just priceless. Like passion actually just I just laugh was great. <laughs> I was I was trying to ask myself, I was like, how what were they showing them like on the tablet to like like did they were the players seeing the same thing we were seeing where it was just like a yeah. video? Oh, it was so funny. It's like their reactions are just pure joy. Like ah, Darla. Also, so Darla cool. is a great name for a pet. Darla is <laughs> just an absolute great name. Yeah, it's like one of those forgotten names that you're like, okay, yeah. Like if you're gonna try to name your dog like one of those old fashioned names, you're like Eleanor, and then you're like, okay, Darla works. Darla works as as a good dog name. It reminds me of um, have you have you seen the Little Rascals when when the kid Alfalfa crushes over Darla, Darla every time. That's a good reference. I mean, that's really the only other time we really heard the name Darla, but it's a good name for a dog. I like it. I had to bring her up, though, because uh, what a star she's been this week. Yeah, Bruins have been crushing on social. They also had the the Taylor Swift TikTok. Oh, my God. (laughs) If we had Jeremy Shout out to to Elaine, formerly of WEI now. Yeah, I was wondering if that was Elaine that did that. I'm pretty sure she's at least the TikTok, and I think she does the uh, like the questions to the guys as well. Yeah, because that's what my friend sent me the video, and she's about the Taylor Swift midnight like video. If you haven't seen it, look it up. I, I don't have a TikTok, but I had multiple people send me this, and <laughs> it was so funny. 
Uh, Jeremy Swayman's just on the floor without a shirt, just like <laughs> looking like I don't even know. Like you gotta, you gotta look it up. You'll know what we're saying. But I was like, my friend sent me this, and they're like, oh, whoever does the Instagram is on point. I'm like, or the TikTok or social media is on point. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Elaine. Yeah, <laughs> Elaine did used to work for us, and she used to have a podcast for us too. Yeah, they they'll keep those they'll keep those going all year. But yeah, the the, the passionate laugh was just so wholesome. He's like, <laughs> he's looking at Marshan, and then he starts cracking up. Like, oh darn, <laughs> so funny. And by um, the way, he today he was asked a few questions where he was like, "I do not understand your question." And so did Allmark. So the, these guys are both their yeah. first languages in English, but it was kind of funny to see like them have to ask like can you say that again can you say that again they didn't get some of the questions today i would just do that to end interviews if i was them like if, yeah if but i thought an interview was going on too long i'd be like i maxed out like i can't understand any more english sorry yeah well the problem is our reporters will just try to rephrase it and say it slower or whatever and then yeah you end up still having to to answer it because it doesn't work like that as much as you might want it to, if you're a player like Allmark, I feel like we've talked about how he's he tries to like keep it light and like make jokes. I feel like he does that so that because he hates it, like I think he hates talking to the media, so he's trying to entertain himself. So he's just like, I'm just gonna go out there and just make jokes because otherwise, I really hate this. So I'm just gonna try to make the most of it. Yeah, Allmark pretended to shut my recorder off the other night. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he tries. He he keeps it. He he's very sarcastic. He likes to joke about things, and I feel like it's mostly to just for himself to entertain himself and get through it. Because I don't think he likes answering our questions. I I think he's, but I think he's gotten a, a lot better. And maybe it's just because he didn't get off to the best start last year, so some of the questions were like a little tougher. But I I remember like to start last season definitely getting the sense that like he really hates doing this oh but yeah he gave me an answer I feel one like, time I feel that like i was like now oh. like now it's like it's still kind of like the shorter answers but now to your point like i feel like he's having fun with it and it's just in like a, a much better mood in general i think everybody's been in yeah, a good mood definitely anything else you guys want to go over uh no i think we covered everything all right. So as we said earlier, Bruins are five and one. They're off until Tuesday night, where they host Tyler Seguin and the Dallas Sequin. Stars. Sequin. Tyler Seguin. Now Tyler Sagan and the Stars come to Boston on Tuesday. Um, so yeah, I think that'll probably wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening, and uh, we will talk soon. <laughs>